Several years ago, I was listening to a youth pastor at a large church, and he had a kind of a big ministry, big following of, of a variety of things. And he made this comment. He made this statement. Stop inviting your friends to church. Stop inviting your friends to church, he said over and over again. And he made, he made it bold and, and strong. And, and as, you know, so often when we hear something like that, we're going to look at it and say, wait, 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 aren't we supposed to invite people? Weren't we given a call to go and send, go invite people to church? I mean, isn't that what people, what churches, what pastors, what elders, what people at church want? Aren't we supposed to invite people? And yet he continued, stop inviting your friends to church. Bring them. Bring them. Now his comment was a bit hyperbolic. He was, he was trying to reach out and trying to get this, his students to, to you know, lay out this, to understand what he's getting at. Bring your friends to church. And, part, and I think really what he's getting at, his whole point is that an invitation is really a take it or leave it proposition. I mean, how many times have you and I been given an invitation to something only to let it just sort of pass by, right? The RSVP passes and you think, oh, well, too late. I'm not going to go. Or you, and so it's the same kind of thing. And instead, his challenge to his students, and you know, in bring in in the idea of bringing someone to church, it's almost like you you could be saying, "Hey, look, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I would love for you to come with me. Will you come with me? Hop in my car." Or students, if you're not yet driving, maybe say, "Hey, mom, dad, can we go by and pick up my this friend or that friend?" And while I think this pastor is being hyperbolic, invitations and bring invitations are all worthy and good things, he was also a little bit biblical, as we saw in the passage that Brian read. So if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open it to Luke chapter 5, we get to look at this incident when Jesus heals this paralytic man. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on the actions of these men, of his friends, in bringing him to Jesus. But also, Jesus, his surprising response to what he did. So if you have your Bibles, look, at, look there in, in Luke 5. We'll kind of walk through it in, in a few different ways. Before we get to kind of the outline, I want to just give us the, the, the crux of what I think is the point of this passage and that is this, that Jesus has authority to forgive sins, which ultimately meets our deepest and our true and deepest need. He has authority to forgive sins as demonstrated by his power to heal because he is God. I think if we were to boil down that whole passage that, that, that Brian read, it would be in that statement. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins as demonstrated by his power to heal because he is God. So in the passage before us, we see some men who bring their friend to Jesus because of the perceived mission. They have this mission in mind. I want my friend to be healed. I want my friend to be healed. If you have your Bibles open and want to look at um, Luke 5.18, I think it will be on the screen as well. It says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. 
these men wanted to bring their friend to Jesus. And we presume it's for healing because notice Luke doesn't say these guys wanted his, their friend healed. We never get that connection. But there's a couple things that we do kind of get in the word of God that help us understand healing was their mission. First of all, if you look just above there, if you're looking in your copy of God's word, you can see in the little pericope, the little small section of scripture right above this one, Jesus has just finished healing a leper. So you have this theme now going on. And then if you notice in the passage that Brian read in verse 17, the latter part of 17, it says that Jesus had the power, it says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So Luke has given us this insight. Healing is on the mind of these guys. And Jesus had been getting, gaining a reputation healing people. But I wonder for us, do we truly see the mission that is before us? These guys had a mission to get their friend in front of Jesus in hopes that he might heal him. But do we truly understand the spiritual needs of our friends and family members? Or are we just kind of out there seeing, you, you do you, I'll do me, and we'll let God shake it out in the end. See, they had a mission to bring their friend to Jesus. But in addition to having this mission, I think we get to see in this passage that they experienced some real obstacles. They experienced some real challenges. Look at verses 18 again and, and 19. It says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So let's consider some of their obstacles because he, he first of all has this, they first of all have this personal obstacle, this large crowd. You have this massive crowd of people that's crowding in to try to see Jesus. They're trying to get in front of him. They're trying to understand and hear and listen. And all these people are wanting to understand Jesus. And so, um, actually, I, I screwed that up. Their personal obstacle was transporting their friend. Their personal, I mean, imagine if you've ever tried to lift somebody who lacks the ability to help themselves, their weight feels heavier than their true body weight. This guy might have been skinny. Who knows? Maybe because he was, he was um, not able to move. Maybe he was very large. We don't know. But whatever the case, it took several guys to carry this guy around. So they had this very personal obstacle, transporting their friend. But secondly, we have this public obstacle, which is the thing that I was saying just a moment ago. You have this very large crowd. We don't, you know, Luke doesn't tell us how many people were there. But we can imagine a, large, a crowd large enough that filled part of the house and most likely spilled out into the street. So now people are listening in through the doorway and through the windows. And so you have all these people around. They're just trying to catch a little bit of what Jesus is saying. And then you have this physical obstacle, the roof. This seems like an odd one to us because all of our roofs are, are pitched, right? And all of us have fixed things on our roofs. But there in the Middle East, especially when they were making their roofs mostly of, or their houses mostly of mud and maybe some thatching on the roof to, to keep out the rain, they had this ability to sort of take it apart without destroying the roof, without causing thousands of dollars of damage. And so they did that. 
And so they worked their way up to the roof and, and worked on sending their friend down in front of Jesus. But this month, as we continue asking the question, who's your one, we get to consider the mission that God has placed before us to make disciples. We also have to face the reality that there will be obstacles. There will be challenges in front of us in accomplishing the mission that God has for us. Personal obstacles. Fear is one of those big personal obstacles. If I go tell my friend I'm a Christian, if I'm going to challenge my friend to hear the claims of Christ, what do I say? How do I cross that barrier? And I get it. I, I, get, I get afraid too. But another obstacle is politeness. We don't want to risk offending somebody. Let me just keep quiet about my faith and I'll just let bygones be bygones. The truth of the gospel is offensive because ultimately people have to get to that point where they recognize that they have a sin problem. And, and so we may have to risk being impolite. But is it worth temporarily offending our friend? And we can do it very lovingly and graciously and gently. But is it worth temporarily offending our friend so that the destiny of their, the, the eternal destiny of their soul can be considered more fully. Momentary offense, eternal destiny. But I think there's another uh, personal obstacle that some of us have. Some of us feel like maybe I just have a lack of knowledge. I don't know how to go about doing this. I don't know how to share my faith. And let me just encourage you, there are several resources out in the book nook. You know that little, there's a, a little bookshelf on the right-hand side as you go out of the sanctuary, as you go toward the front door. And all those resources are there for you to take. You can make a donation if you want, but if you can't, just take it. And, but there's some good things out there. Evangelism as Exiles is one. I, I mentioned that last week. It's a great way for us to look at how we can be evangelistic. But there's also a couple new things that are out there. One of them is, is this book called Why Believe. It's a reasoned argument for the Christian faith, not just for faith in God, but truly for Christianity. It's written from a scientist's perspective. Let me encourage you to grab a couple of the Look at, see what there, there's several others on why we believe and what we believe. And you can use that. You can read it, get, you know, get, grow in your knowledge, but also maybe consider giving that to a friend. But also, out in the foyer, before you get to the book nook, there's a couple of other things. There's these little evangelism cards. One thing like this, and he even says, where do you begin? That's, well, that's good when someone tells you where to begin. And you can just follow this, and, 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 and it'll help you understand how to walk through that. You can take some of these and, and some of these. These are little cards to help you understand. Maybe give this to a friend, help them see just the way that God loves them and how to lead them in response. So we've seen that we have personal obstacles, fear, politeness, a lack of knowledge. But we also have public obstacles. You see, sharing our faith is something that our culture looks down on. So we have these big, this large crowd of people out there who say, no, 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 you keep your faith to yourself. We're saying, but we've been given a mission by God to go and make disciples. 
there's that cultural pressure, and that cultural pressure comes with cultural opinions. People want to say, oh, no, 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 no. You Christians are the, the whatever. But there's also the, the very real public obstacle of our friend groups. If, if my friend finds out what I believe, I won't be there. They won't, I might not be their friend anymore. It may, we may feel that pressure. Students, you may feel that pressure more than the adults will. As you walk around the high school or middle school or elementary school, you may run into those challenges, but I want to just encourage us. We need to be genuine and face those obstacles head on. Notice these guys didn't, didn't cower at the fact that there were obstacles in front of them. But there are also physical obstacles, and these are not exhaustive, but, but maybe transportation is a challenge. How can I bring my friend if I don't have a car, students, right? Well, you have parents. Or maybe we feel like we lack the opportunities for, for interaction, for conversations. Maybe we're in different workplaces. I, I know one of the challenges I had for a very long time was, was that working at church, being involved at a, at a church, and, and especially when our kids were at Christian school, we had very little natural interaction with people who were far from God. So in order to reach out, I'd have to truly go outside of my normal sphere of walking around, of living. But there are different things that we can do, and, and maybe... Maybe it's inviting a handful of church friends and, and a neighbor over to your house for a meal. Maybe there's that opportunity to engage in conversations and allow other people to get to know each other. Maybe a good practice would be to go on a mission trip. I know Eric and Lynn Bass, they're looking at bringing some more people over to the Middle East to, to climb mountains. And maybe you don't feel like you can climb a mountain, but if you're okay camping for a bit, there's some great conversations to be had. Maybe it's showing up on Tuesdays to help give away bread. I got to tell you, I've been so impressed the last two weeks and people coming by to, to get not just bread, get food. And, and the conversations that come out of that are tremendous. Or even like yesterday, helping out. I mean, I know Poolsville Day is another year away. But put it on your calendar for next year if you're having a hard time engaging in some conversations. And just hang out with Ned Dietrich for a few minutes. He engaged one guy in conversation for like 20 minutes out in front of our, uh, our booth. A guy he'd never met before. I knew him. But it's just, they're talking and, and just getting to know one another. There's, there's so many cool things that we can do. But, so there's transportation. There's opportunities that we may feel like we don't have. But also there's proximity. I'm just not close to anybody who's a non-believer who's not a Christian. The class that Vern and Gabriel are, are facilitating called the Engagement Project, this is not about marriage, all right? It's about engaging culture, engaging our neighbors. And one of the things this class reflects on is looking at where God has placed us. And I know I've said this before, but I, want to, I, I think it's important that we get it in our minds. Where has God placed you? What is your address? And what is the address person of the person on your right and on your left and across the street and kitty corner? Who lives near you? What are, who are you close to? 
Is it possible that God has placed you there so that you can have a relationship with that person over there? I think so often we kind of look at it and we think, well, let me zip into my garage and close the door before anybody sees me. Let me run out and take the trash out and pick up the mail when it's dark and so no one is there. But maybe we just plan it every now and then. Hey, I noticed that so-and-so takes his trash. Let me just go have a conversation. Anyways, I, we could go on and on to that. But uh, the qu- question really becomes, are we willing to do what it takes to get through the obstacles that are in front of us? Or are we just going to give up? I'm an introvert. I can't talk to people. Guess who else is? Right? So these men, they had a mission to get their friend healed, and, and they overcame all these obstacles, the personal, the public, and the physical obstacles, and they get him in front of Jesus. So I want you to imagine this scene. Here's this huge crowd, and these guys are trying to work their way in, and they finally go around the side. They go up on the roof. They start cutting open the roof, and I'm sure there's dust and debris and things falling down right in front of Jesus. And then... All of a sudden, this guy begins to lower himself, get lowered in front of Jesus, and he's laying down there in front with this whole crowd of people in front of him. Maybe they're upset. Maybe they're frustrated. And then the question becomes, what is Jesus going to do? What will he do? Will he just keep on teaching and ignore the guy? Hey, great seat. I'm glad you're there. Let's, have a, let's keep talking because it's, you know, he, let's, let me keep teaching. Will he heal the man? Will he be angry? Oh, you got all this dust in my hair. Will he ignore it? But then here's what Jesus does. Luke 5.20, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. What? Imagine being his friends. They got him in front of Jesus. Jesus opens his mouth and he's going to say something. And then all of a sudden he says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, that's not what we wanted. But you see, I think that what ultimately happened here is that Jesus accomplished the true mission. And that was his forgiveness. Jesus accomplished the true mission. That was his forgiveness. He clearly sees the need. He clearly sees the faith of this guy's friends, and he understands what needs to be done. But Jesus is after a bigger mission, and that is the man's soul. Look at, or, or Thabiti Anubule, who's a pastor in D.C., in his commentary on this, he said, the act of letting their friend down through the roof was an unusual demonstration of faith. Jesus says nothing about the man's legs or his paralysis. He focused on the man's soul. He forgives the man's sins. He says, listen, you can be paralyzed and unable to get around without your friends lying motionless on your sickbed and still be full of sin. Anya Buile continues, he says, In his holiness, Christ does not chase away the person, nor does the Savior crush the sinner. The Lord of love does not hate the sinner. Instead, our Lord forgives him. Forgiveness 
is one of the holiest acts of all. And so Jesus creates a beautiful teaching moment by addressing the real need of the man, and that is his sin problem. There are times, I think, in our prayer lives when we will pray and fast and plead and think, God, will you please heal this person? Will you please work? You can do this. We've seen you do it in Scripture. Will you do it now? There are some people on our prayer list that we've been praying for for some time, and other people have been praying for them for even longer. It's, it's difficult to keep praying and thinking, God, you can heal them. And it seems like that's what the best thing is. But his will is something different sometimes. And maybe, maybe we feel like he's not answering that prayer for healing or maybe he's not answering that prayer in fixing a financial problem or resolving conflict between friends or family member, and we assume that the thing that we want most is the thing that God wants most. And we have to recognize, no, God is sovereign. He is addressing issues that we might not be paying attention to. And so we're called to stick around and to stick with it and keep praying and keep pressing in saying, God, what is it you're doing here? But consider how often, we, we, how often do we look for something other than what is truly needed. We think, oh, God, if there would just be world peace, then everything would be great. Or, God, if this political party would be in power, then everything would be perfect. We want happiness assuming that it comes from getting the things that we want. We want to address crime problems without truly fixing people's hearts. And we have to recognize that the underlying problem in the world is sin. Humanity's rebellion against a holy God. We don't need self-actualization. We don't need inner peace. We need peace with God. And we get that by repenting of our sin and yielding to Him, yielding to His way of salvation. And so Jesus doesn't immediately address the man's paralysis, but he addresses the man's sin problem, the real underlying problem. And in, in addressing the man's sin problem, Luke communicates that the religious leaders objected. The religious leaders begin to question and scoff, and they think, who is this guy? Look at what it says in verse 21. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, who is this who speaks blasphemies? And who can forgive sins but God alone? And I, I got to tell you, they're not wrong in their objections. They're right in saying that God alone is the one who can forgive sins. God alone is the one who can address our sinful rebellion. Mike McKinley in his commentary said, The Pharisees and teachers of the law understand the implications of Jesus' statement. They know that only God forgives, can forgive sins. And so Jesus' words to the paralyzed man essentially amount to blasphemy. And they're thinking Jesus has claimed to exercise a privilege that belongs to God alone. 
And in a sense, they are correct. God is the only one who can forgive sin. But if, as Luke has already shown us, Jesus is the divine Son of God in human flesh, then he does indeed have the authority to forgive sins. And if Jesus is not truly God, then he is blaspheming. But, you know, our culture has its own set of religious leaders. And I'm not just talking about rabbis and clerics and imams and priests and pastors. I'm also talking about those secular humanistic religious leaders. Those, that culture police that wants, that expects everyone to go along with all the latest whims and fads and things. Oh, you must endorse this because we say it's good. We have to recognize that in our mission, people will object. They will scoff at our addressing people's sin problem. I don't like the fact that I had a sin problem, but I love the fact that God addressed it. We have to face the brutal reality before we get the gracious reality. They will object that Jesus being the only way is too narrow-minded. But I think we need to persist because our mission and message doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And Jesus didn't get into an argument with them, and he certainly didn't back down. And so we finally see that Jesus proves he has authority to forgive sins by healing this man. These religious leaders must have been either talking very quietly or thinking among themselves because, or thinking to themselves because Jesus says, in, starting in verse 22, he says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? And, and here's, the, here's the lynch. Here's the, the linchpin. It's the key right here. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up, his, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. Fred Bach says that logic tells us it's easier to say one's sins are forgiven since that cannot be seen. But in fact, that is the more difficult since, um, since, since one must have the authority to do that. And Jesus links the two issues together. He acts so that the audience can know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Let me just encourage you, if you're on the fence about Jesus, if you're on the fence about who he is, I mean, we, we believe, Scripture tells us that Jesus was born uniquely. He was born he, God in the flesh. He is fully God and fully human. And he is the only means of us having a relationship with God, and he did that by dying on a cross, taking the punishment of our sin on him. But I want you to think about this. Think about this situation that Jesus is this encounter that he has with this man all of our modern medicine and some of you guys are super smart you've been working in medicine you've been working at healing people all of our modern medicine cannot heal a person who is paralyzed and if we can we certainly don't do it very often and yet jesus with the word of his mouth heals this guy only to prove that he has the authority 
to forgive people's sins. Think about all the smart people that there are in the world. I mean, if we're going to overcome people's paralysis, we're putting them in big, um, you know, prosthetic things or big frames that help them walk around that give their, that bypasses their spinal column. But once that spinal column is broken, there's really little to nothing that can be done. Jesus had the authority with the word of his mouth to say, rise, pick up your bed and walk. Will you believe in a God who could do that? Will you trust him with your eternal soul, knowing that he had the authority to do that for this guy who couldn't do anything on his own. He acted on the faith of his friends. Have you allowed Jesus' finished work on the cross to forgive your sin? Have you responded to his call for salvation? And if you haven't, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Let's talk afterwards or let's get together sometime this week. But as we close, you know, last week we started asking this question, who's your one? And several of us committed to praying for someone, for that one, for 30 days. Some of, us, some of us took one of these things. Some of you took one of these bookmarks or both. And I challenge you, I encourage you to write someone's name on here and drop it in the, in the offering box in the back. And on Wednesday nights we'd be praying. And we prayed this week for every one of the names that, that we wrote down. For the last several days, I've been walking through this prayer guide, praying for the one that was on my list. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to do the same. If you didn't get one of these things or one of these things, they're in the back, right behind the soundboard. Um, but I want to encourage you to be praying. But I want to ask you, do you see your one as part of the mission for the kingdom of God? This isn't a project. This isn't so we can have a bigger church. This is for the kingdom of God. It's an assignment, I believe, from the Lord. So will you be intentional about exposing your one, your friend, your family member to the gospel? And will you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, work to overcome the obstacles that are between you and the mission that God has called you to? Will you stand firm in the face of in the face of objections? And will you trust that Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive? Ultimately, it's not on us. We're just the mouthpiece. We're just the herald. Hey, come. Jesus is the way. Jesus does the saving. We simply do the bringing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your example for, for, for the example, the faith of these men who brought their friend before you. And God, I pray that you would give us that same kind of faith, that same kind of belief and hope that you will work according to your will. Lord, we pray for opportunities. We pray that you would help us to be bold, courageous, yet to be filled with love and compassion. God, work. lead us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.